Welcome to this week's show. Uh, we are looking specifically this week at the history and impact of the Stand Your Ground laws. I am Sarah Lilly, so excited to be back with you today. I'm Sean Stefanik with uh, GAG NYC. And my name is Paul Rowley. Um, welcome, Sean, your first time Absolutely. on air with us. Thank you. And we are three of a rotating gaggle of hosts and writers from Gays Against Guns. Um, so, Sean, uh, you want to tell us who Gays Against Guns are? Certainly, certainly. Gays Against Guns NY is an inclusive direct action group of LGBTQ people and their allies committed to non-violently breaking the gun industry's chain of death. Investors, manufacturers, and the NRA, as well as politicians who are all blocking safer gun laws. We are New York-based, but we work with gag chapters in other cities to ensure safety for all individuals, particularly vulnerable communities such such as people of color, women, people who struggle with mental health issues, of course, LGBTQ people, and religious minorities. GAG condemns white supremacy, all instances of excessive force by police and police militarization. We meet every other Thursday at 7 p.m. at NYC's LGBT Center at 208 West 13th Street, and believe us all who want to help fight for better gun laws are welcome. Yay. So, here at GAG Radio... We structure our shows inspired by our meetings, and we always start off with an in-memoriam to remind us why we do this work. This week, we honor Renisha McBride. Renisha McBride was a young woman from Detroit. Detroit, Michigan. She graduated from high school in 2012. She was already working for the Ford Motor Company. She loved cars. She loved to have a good time. She was a cheerleader in high school with an outgoing personality. About a year after she graduated, she took out her car one night and she crashed it. She had a car accident sometime after midnight. She became disoriented. She was injured. She was walking around the neighborhood, and she ended up about 3 a.m. knocking on the door of someone in Dearborn Heights. So this child knocking on the door after midnight, the man inside the house opened up the door and shot her in the face. Renisha was killed at her three-hour service in Detroit. Her friends and family gathered and honored her with pictures of her from trips to Disney World, remembered her good times, remembered what an inspiration she was to others because she was a young person who had something going for her. Renisha McBride was a young black woman. Her life matters. Thank you, Sarah. Um, so, um, news this week uh, in the shooting of 28-year-old 20 Marquise McLaughlin in Clearwater, Florida. Many of you folks have probably been following this case. McLaughlin was shot outside a convenience store this summer by Michael Draca, who walked free, claiming he acted in self-defence and was thereby protected by Florida's 2005 Stand Your Ground law. McLaughlin's girlfriend, Brittany Jacobs, was waiting in her car when Draca began harassing her. 
pacing up and down, threatening her loudly in front of her three kids because she was parked in a handicapped parking space. Witness Brittany Hicks said, the white guy got my attention because he was screaming at the black girl so loudly. When McLaughlin came out and saw Draco harassing his family, he challenged him, pushed him to the ground. Draco shot him dead. While being questioned by detectives, Draco claimed he thought McLaughlin twitched towards him, so he fired his gun. The day after the shooting, Sheriff Bob Galtieri announced that he would not charge Draco for the shooting. However, in August, after much public outcry, the investigation was turned over to the state attorney. It has since been revealed that three other drivers previously alleged Draco had threatened them with a gun. Draco was formally charged with a single count of manslaughter for which he may serve 30 years in prison. However, Draco pleaded not guilty to the charge and was released on bail this week. His next court date is scheduled for October 19th. This is the latest high-profile Stand Your Ground case where an African-American man has been shot dead by someone who later claims they were acting out of fear and therefore should not be held accountable. Thank you, Paul. Sean, you're up next. We want to hear about the history of Stand Your Ground. There is a very interesting case involving the history of lethal self-defense. You see, in the beginning, we had but English common law. And within that English common law was the sanctity of life. And about the sanctity of life was what we had in our souls as a duty to retreat. You did not publicly harm or impose any kind of threat physically to anyone. You literally went behind your wall, as they say, and you allowed the king to responsibly take care of the situation. That was what he was there for. There was, however, one exception, the castle doctrine. As the old saying goes, a man's home is his castle, and after there were many uh, martial law force that had um, intruded upon people's homes before, mainly white slave owners and property owners, they complained and the castle doctrine was born, you therefore had the right to lethally defend yourself if it was in your own home. But this even expanded out to the streets in the case of Thomas Selfridge versus uh, Benjamin Austin. You see, Thomas Selfridge was uh, politically and socially at odds with Benjamin Austin, Benjamin Austin, and had called him a liar and a thief and a scoundrel socially in a newspaper. Well, now, Benjamin Austin wasn't going to have any of that. He had sent out a threat, you know, ver, uh, via proxy saying, uh, you know, seriously, dude, I'm going to go get you. And uh, you're not going <laughs> to see me coming, basically, is what's going on here. At that point, you know, he he's getting kind of scared and he's like, oh, my God, what do I do? I've got my pistol. I'm just going to take it with me. And if this guy comes up here, I'm going to blow him. You know where? Well, that's essentially kind of what ended up happening. Because what we had after that, he's walking down the streets one day, and he, he sees Charles Austin, Benjamin's son, coming right to him, a much taller and imposing figure who uh, is also carrying a cane. Now, he shot Charles Austin, and Charles Austin immediately fell to the concrete or to the floor, road, whatever, and was dead. Some witnesses claimed that Charles Austin took a swing at Thomas before Thomas shot, or there were other people saying that Thomas shot first and uh, Charles Austin fell and died. Well, that none of that ended up uh, being of much relevance because when it came to the court, it wasn't so much about that so much as uh, it was about honor. 
it uh, it uh, became a situation of a man's honor being more important than a man's life in, in the court case, if that makes sense. Uh, people just seemed to forget about the uh, sanctity of life, as uh, this were the case may be. And uh, although prosecution was pleading with the jury to uphold the duty to retreat, it did not resonate with the jury whatsoever. And um, they swiftly delivered a not guilty verdict, and uh, the case. And he was a free man at that point. Um, the, this case pretty much then proved to be a foundation for a gradual decay of what was originally the duty to retreat, and it essentially gave way for an entire culture of people who undervalue life. And I don't think anything's really changed with any of this, because instead of it being honor over life as it was back then, it's now money over life. NRA, this means you. That's correct, yeah. Thanks, Sean. Thanks. So, Sean, can you tell us what the Stand Your Ground laws say now? Well, it varies from state to state. Uh, currently, there are 25 states that have stand your ground laws. Uh, Florida's law has been changed so that the burden of proof is on the prosecution. And that means that it's up to the prosecution to show that the shooter did not have the right to use deadly force. And what does the law actually say? Well, the Florida law, which has been promoted by the NRA and used as a model for legislation in many other states that use it, have said, first and foremost, that a person is justified in using or threatening force, except deadly force, when they reasonably believe that they need to defend themselves against someone else's unlawful action, and that they do not have a duty to retreat or to avoid harming any other person, to avoid harming any other person. I mean, seriously, can you believe that? Uh, slap someone, maybe? Uh, the second part of the uh, thing, uh, the second part of that law uh, involves deadly force, and there's a person who is then, in that case, justified in using deadly force if they reasonably believe that the other person will kill them or cause great bodily harm, and again, they do not have a duty to retreat. Violence much? Yeah. Thanks, John. We wanted to put a human face on the impact of Stand Your Ground laws on minorities and people of color. So I interviewed my friend, Annette Freeman, whose son grew up in Brooklyn with my kids. Our interview's up next. Annette, do you remember what it was like when you first heard about the killing of Trayvon Martin? I do. I remember getting the news report. And my son uh, was in, I think his last year of high school. He was in boarding school at the time, actually. And I remember hearing the story and and then subsequent, you know, reports afterwards about, you know, Trayvon being shot by George Zimmerman, the stand your ground, and realizing, you know, you cannot be a young black boy, black person in America, because the violence comes to get you. White citizens are so afraid of people of color that this stand your ground law is just a law to attack people of color just because you may even have a hint that something might be wrong. You don't have the benefit of the doubt if you're a person of color. You don't have the safety of saying, hold on, wait a minute. What you're thinking is not what's going on. We don't have any leeway and it, it doesn't even matter anymore about stand your ground you can be in starbucks being black 
You can be standing in a park barbecuing being black. Even in my neighborhood now, it's where I live. It's like you can't you can't have a hurricane and be black. It's it's an epidemic, and and it, it leaves me speechless <laughs> to talk about this um, at this time. Honestly, yeah. Now I wonder, uh, did you did you talk to your son about it, and or did he bring it up, and what was that conversation like? I did. I called him as again. He's in boarding school up. In, he was in Massachusetts, not in New York at the time. And I uh, shared with him as I had done before about what to do if a police officer. Um, approaches you, what to do if anybody approaches you. At the time, I told him, do not wear a hoodie. And it's almost like, what else could you possibly do to, what could I have possibly done to share with my son how he can be kept safe? And the more I thought about it, it was like, these things are ridiculous. But... I had to say it. So, if a police officer approaches you, you you put your hands out like you show him that you have nothing in your hands. You agree with everything he says. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You do not in any way push back, raise your voice at all. And I had to drill this in him as well as his father had to drill this in him. Even today, now he's a grown man driving and pulled over by a police officer. You do not do anything, nothing. You just sit there and you stare, put your hands on the dashboard. Um, do not reach for anything quickly. It, you know, it is something that it's just ingrained in him now. And he's had situations in which he's had to put that into use. Wow. We know that in states that have stand-your-ground laws, the statistics show that the defense is overwhelmingly successful when the shooter is white and the victim is black. If you could speak to the voting public in the 25 states that have these laws that are headed for midterm elections, what would you say? These stand-your-ground laws really are based on fears, and it's predominantly a fear for people of color. And these fears are being stoked by the politicians to get more votes. It's ingrained fear of other people that don't look like yourself. But if you understand that this country is built on the diversity of people of all races, that's how this country was built far. But move your fears to even the next level. So therefore, who are you going to shoot? Like your nephew? Thank you. That is really powerful, Annette. And I so appreciate your being willing to talk about it on the show. Thank um, you for having me. Take care. Okay. So okay. long. Bye-bye. Uh, thanks, Sarah. That was, and thanks, Annette. This thing that really keeps coming back with standing to your ground is this idea of fear. 
you know and when we were when we first started researching for this particular show I, I was really of course thinking about Trayvon Martin and, and uh, really the that he's like walking inside a gated community this idea that that's um, this an area is supposed to be safe safer than other areas so we really started to dig into that um, digging into and here we have the, a, a report a, a well-grounded fear report on the fears that kind of drive a lot of the violence that we see and the violence that we see defended by these laws. In 2004, construction began on the retreat at Twin Lakes, a 263 townhouse development 18 miles outside Orlando. The community was marketed as an oasis where nobody could park a car on the street or paint the house an odd colour. The retreat at Twin Lakes and most gated communities differ from other kinds of residential areas because their streets are private. No one can pass through without permission from the owners, the opposite of a right-of-way we would normally expect when visiting a cousin or an aunt. Why build these walls? Developers and residents always give the same answers. Fear. Fear of burglary, the need to protect your property, the same reasons owners of multiple guns will give if asked why they need 15 guns at home. All part of a mass hysteria constructed by developers and the NRA to sell us walls and weapons. Yet repeated studies show that there is no concrete data that gated communities promise residents decreased crime rates. In fact, as Lynn Addington and Callie Marie Renison write in Justice Quarterly, Keeping the Barbarians Outside the Gate, these communities actually present an increased risk of other crimes, such as intimate partner violence. Current statistics for homicide in the US show that only 14% of murder victims die at the hands of strangers. And burglary rates here are low, on a par with countries such as Switzerland and Sweden, a study of South Africa's gated neighbourhoods found that moving to these residents actually increases the risk of burglary. High walls, 24-7 surveillance, this may give residents a sense of security, but they create enclaves that maintain and increase segregation, keeping the poor and minorities out and making those inside increasingly paranoid. Studies show that homeowners tend to self-segregate to be with people of the same education level and race. A UN Habitat report claims we are seeing spatial and social fragmentation of cities, leading to the diminished use and availability of public space and increased polarisation. Rich Benjamin in the New York Times blames gated communities in the death of many people of colour, saying they churn a vicious cycle by attracting like-minded residents who seek shelter from outsiders and whose physical seclusion then worsens paranoid groupthink against outsiders. Be as paranoid as possible. This printed inside a cheery holiday card, the seasonal greeting message from a homeowners association in another Florida enclave. Report suspicious individuals that do not belong in our community. So, self-appointed vigilantes now patrol these grounds, seeking out suspicious entities inside their battlement walls. And what is the penalty for this trespassing? Execution without trial? This is what happened at the retreat at Twin Lakes where Trayvon Martin was executed by a man so security-obsessed that he had already made over 200 calls to local police. George Zimmerman claimed that Trayvon was a real suspicious guy, just walking around up to no good, wearing a dark hoodie. These assholes, they always get away. This racially motivated prejudice, which has been shown in studies to go so far that white people even credit black folk with superhuman powers, is at the root of much split-second gut-level decision-making. 
Combine that prejudice paranoia with easy firearm access and stand your ground laws and many feel entitled to shoot without fear of prosecution. Because after all, in your adult, paranoid, privileged brain, all you are doing is defending yourself against a violent entity that is so beyond human in your mind, they won't even feel the bullets. Thanks, Paul. All right, that was really powerful. Now, everybody in the room, breathe in, breathe out, and give the person next to you a big wet kiss because now it's time to celebrate our brotherhood and think about becoming a WBAI buddy. We want you to become a buddy in the name of Gag Radio. You can help support Gag. You can support our mission. You can get a beautifully crafted glitter T-shirt handmade for you. It's secure on the website. You can go to WBAI.org and become a WBAI buddy. Great. And thanks to everybody who's already done that, of course. Um, you know, it's a membership-supported radio station, so we really appreciate your support. Um, at GAG, we engage in a wide range of coalition-building activities. And last week, GAG member Kathy Moreno-Thomas spoke at Youth Over Guns Rally in New York about the chain of death that perpetuates the cycles of gun violence in this country. Let me talk to you now about the chain of death. It's more than a gun manufacturer and a person on the street with a gun. It starts with the manufacturing of a gun. Then it's taken over by an organization that has been allowed to possess our elected officials, the NRA. The NRA is in every place in our lives now. It has been allowed to get there. They give money to our uh, legislators. They block sensible gun legislation. But it's even more than that. Your retirement plan is invested in gun manufacturers. Your politicians are moving legislation the way gun manufacturers and NRA want them to move it. It's time for them to stop. And the only, only way to do that is to vote. So Kathy was speaking at an event to mark the first year anniversary of the Las Vegas massacre, which took place at the Route 91 Harvest Music Festival last year. And to date, that's the worst mass shooting in modern American history. Incredible to think that 58 people were killed and 851 injured in less than 10 minutes. And since then, there have been 136 more mass shootings in the United States. So, Sean, how do we stop all this? <laughs> well, funny you should ask that. We do have a ton of events coming up over the next few weeks, actually. Uh, come to one of our meetings, you can certainly find out how. But most importantly, here in New York, the voter registration deadline is this Friday, October 12th. We can't stress enough the importance of voting in these midterm elections, and many of us are reaching out to family members across the country, making sure that they're also registered. And there is no better way to fight gun violence than to vote out the puppets of the NRA. Also, GAG will be at Orlando Pride this coming weekend. And speaking of standing your ground, GAG will be holding space as we do every month this month, October 26th, in Penn Station to draw attention to the 26% discount FedEx still gives to NRA members. More info on all these events on the Gays Against Guns Facebook page and website. 
And if you're in New York City this Thursday, we have our bi-monthly meeting at 7 o'clock in the LGBT Centre in Manhattan on 13th Street. And all are welcome. So please do come in and say hi and let us know how you'd like to get involved. Um, Keep following us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. All of this info is on gaysagainstguns.net. So it's already kind of time to round up the show. Thank you all for listening. (laughs) Um, Thanks, of course, to WBAI for giving us a home here. Not before we give out a few hell yes. Everyone who got arrested in D.C. this week. Hell hell yeah! yeah. Everyone who registered to vote or registered someone else to vote. Hell Hell yeah! yeah. Reggie and the WBAI staff for all their support. Hell Hell yeah. yeah! And now we are going to play out with one of our politicals, with our political singing quartet, Sing Out Louise. Be sure to catch us on Facebook this Thursday for the launch of our new music video, Vote. (laughs) Well, I think it would be nice if we could break your lobby. Cause no, not every lobby knows how to lobby like you. No. And you never think twice before you take our dreams away. Well, we say the NRA and all the cash you blew. Oh, yeah, you bought a Congress for 20 million and then the White House 30 million more. Well, you can spend your heart out a billion zillion. We don't care about your money. We are showing you the door. Because we gotta have faith. We gotta have faith. Oh yeah, we gotta have faith, the faith, the faith. We gotta have faith, the faith, the faith. Baby, we won't go back to yesterday. So please, 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 sashay away. You are giving us the blues. Baby, we're gonna break the money chain. Then we won't have to feel the pain of another day loaded down with a lot of bad news. Just watch this river become an ocean. Listen, do you hear that mighty roar? Yeah, baby, we'll keep resisting your evil notions. We have had it up to here and we are showing not one more. Cause you gotta have faith. We gotta have faith. Oh yeah, we gotta have faith, the faith, the faith. We gotta have faith, the faith, the faith. This is WBAI New York 99.5 FM and WBAI.org online. The previous program was the WBAI Evening News presented by Radio Gag, Gays Against Guns, and they are heard Tuesdays at 6 p.m. And if you like what they're doing and what they have been doing for, uh, it's almost a month now. I know it's definitely, this is their third show, fourth show. Fourth show, yeah, fourth show. So if you enjoy what they're doing, you know, com- you know, bringing in really serious issues and sometimes a little bit of humor in in the mix, uh, please consider becoming a WBAI buddy in the name of Radio Gag by calling five one six six two zero three six zero two. The number again is five one six six two zero three six zero two, or you can go online 
by going to give to the number to give to WBAI.org on the line and really show your support on the diversity and programming that we do here at WBAI, um, the efforts of trying to bring you current events in a way that is presented only the way that WBAI has been doing since 1960. The number again is 516-620-3602. And um, thank you, Reggie. I, I totally enjoy the program that you do, Sarah, Paul, Sean. This was um, very, very cool, I thought. And I think it's so important to bring this particular message to listeners, to listeners here and actually throughout the country. I think that we will begin to distribute this program so that our affiliates, WBAI affiliates, will be able to uh, pick it up and broadcast it as well. And um, I would love to see some buddies out of uh, those of you, <laughs> those listeners that you know are listening right now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so tell us about who's listening. Who do you know is listening? Because I know that when it's live streamed, we get uh, many, many people who are listening. So tell us, Sarah. Okay, so we have a listening party going on now in North Carolina. Annette Freeman and her friends. Come on, buddy up, buddy up. <laughs> so I think what we did was we neglected to give the telephone number. I know Reggie did, but when you were asking for buddies, I don't think you gave the number. So it's right behind you. Do you see it there, Paul? The pledge line yes. number? Yes. Yeah, so it's 516-620-3602. So for $10 a month or $15 a month or $20 a month, you can become a listener sponsor to WBAI. You can become a buddy. You can become a friend of Radio Gag. And we'd like to see 10. We have about a minute left here before the next program. So can 10 of you call our pledge line right now, 516-620-3602. This is actually an experiment in radio broadcasting here, Radio Gag. And um, talk a little bit about how this came to be. I mean, I can say it came to, well, but you do it, Paul. Well, I mean, well, first of all, you know, to say an experiment is putting it mildly, we're kind of 